Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. We'd like to start by thanking our new patrons. Stacy Salmon, Margaret Osby, Trigvi Christianison, Jocelyn Miller, Temple Ruff, Nancy, Stephanie, and Cassandra Brown. We couldn't do this without you, and please let us know if we mispronounce your name, and we'll be happy to correct it in the next episode. Patrons get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, where you can chat with us about the show or whatever else is on your mind. We have channels in the chat where we talk about horror movies, how freaking cute our pets are, and even what we're having for dinner. We make new channels all the time as we have more fun conversations. I think there's another patron movie night in the works, too. If you want in on movie nights, late-night chats, and photos of adorable animals, then sign up for Patreon, join the Discord, and dive in. Patrons also get bloopers, behind-the-scenes audio, and weekly updates on the show. Different tiers get merch like stickers, t-shirts, and coffee mugs, too. Sign up to support the show at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. Speaking of merch, recently we rolled out our very ghosty and sometimes sexy, always spooky merch. We've also added pod slut shirts, mugs, and other fun stuff, too. Check out the merch link in the show notes to find it. This month, Ian was on another podcast called Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files, a fun, quirky, and downright creepy paranormal podcast hosted by an Elvira-style host called Deadly Debbie. Debbie invites the listener into her home of horrors, where they can listen to strange but true and unexplained stories from her files. Ian stopped by Debbie's place to tell a spooky story of his own and you might recognize bits and pieces of it from an episode of 13. Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files is perfect for 80s babies who grew up on spooky TV like Tales from the Crypt and Unsolved Mysteries. Enjoy the spooky retro feel as you settle in for a good old-fashioned scary story. Check out our show notes for a link, and stay tuned after the episode for a trailer. Also this month, I guested on a podcast with one of our favorite people in the whole world, and a voice you might just recognize from 13. Voice actor and wine aficionado Emma Sherjarko hosts Pairing, a conversational podcast that melds wine with art and pop culture. Learn a bit about wine through discussions of your favorite media, from Marvel movies to Dungeons & Dragons to pro wrestling and more. Pairing is available wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll have a link to the most recent episode in our show notes. Join Emma and I as we pair wines with one of the best movies of all time. Beetlejuice. I'm sure it will be just as fun to listen to as it was to record. This month, we have a story from Katie Marie called Mr. Gray. Katie lives in Norfolk, England, and works as a business development and assurance officer for her local city council. Katie is a published author many times over, including a novel entitled Gray Wings and several short stories. Most recently, a story called Call for Help that you can find in The Haunted Life Anthology, her other works include The Girl in the Shadows by White Cat Publishing and Scratching from The Horror Zine's Book of Ghost Stories, which came out in July of 2020 and has recently won Best Anthology in the 23rd Annual Critters Readers Poll. Katie has another short story slated for publication in the Welcome to Water, Selkies, Sirens, and Sea Monsters Anthology to be published in 2021. We'll link to Katie's works in the show notes. And with that, on with the show.
I stood, staring at my bleary-eyed reflection in the mirror. You've got to be kidding me. This is the last straw. I reached into the bathroom cabinet, pulling out a pack of antiseptic wipes. I closed the cabinet, bringing the mirror back to face me. I winced when I noticed the cut on my forehead. It wasn't deep, but it was bleeding. I cursed at the sharp sting as the wipe touched my skin. By the time I finished cleaning it, the skin around the cut was red and angry. I considered covering it with a band-aid, but decided against it. Foundation would have to do. I reached for my foundation, only to find that it wasn't where I left it. I frowned, frustrated, looking around the bathroom, eventually spotting it on top of the linen cupboard. I never put anything up there because I can't reach it without the stepladder. I shivered. This wasn't the first time I had woken up injured, with items in the flat not where I had left them, but in impossible places. There's no such thing as ghosts. I said this to myself as I went to the kitchen to retrieve the stepladder. There's no such thing as ghosts. I kept repeating the mantra as I returned to the bathroom. I clambered up the stepladder to retrieve my foundation. Coming down, I turned to face the mirror. When I did, I dropped the foundation. Reflected in the mirror, standing behind me, was the dark shape of a person, poorly defined and fuzzy, but unmistakably there. I spun on my heels, my hand raised up to shield myself, but nothing was there. There's no such thing as ghosts. Shaking, I put the stepladder back and rushed through the rest of my morning. I swore again when the alarm on my phone sounded. I know, I know, I grumbled, pulling my tights up. I'm leaving now, I said out loud to no one. I slipped on my shoes. Running through my flat, I grabbed the sandwiches I had made the night before and bolted out the door. Outside, while trying to wrestle my car keys from my handbag, my elderly neighbor, Mrs. Housen, waved me down. Cassandra, she called. Late again? Managing to free my keys while still jogging to my car, I smiled and waved to her. While doing so, I lost my balance and almost fell over. Mrs. Housen called out again. Look where you're going, dear. She told me that she was making a casserole tonight and asked if she should leave some on the doorstep for me. You're my lifesaver, I called back and forced the keys into my car. Mrs. Housen was a sweet lady. I wasn't sure if she considered me a friend or like a daughter, but I only ever had to cook for myself three nights a week at most. Collapsing into the driver's seat, I put the car in reverse and eased out of the driveway. 
Then, there was a sound that made my blood freeze. High-pitched and terrifying, I slammed on the brakes and looked in my rearview mirror. The creature that padded out from behind my car was huge. It had long, mottled gray fur, and I spotted a few bald patches that revealed a scarred and battered body. It was hard to believe that this creature was a cat. Given the size of him, I half suspected one of his parents was a wild cat, something that could be found roaming the moors, perhaps carrying off small children. I opened the car door. Good morning to you, Mr. Gray, I said to the cat. Mr. Gray sat in front of me, blinking his one good eye expectantly. I told the cat in a playful tone that I hadn't been shopping yet this week, but I'd get him a can of treats later today. Mr. Gray continued to stare at me. I reached into my bag and pulled out the cold sandwiches. I'm afraid it's just ham, I told him, opening the bread and dropping a bit of the meat down for Mr. Gray. It was snapped up quickly. I reached out and rubbed his ears. Be good now. Guard the house for me. With that, I closed the car door, reversed out onto the road, with Mr. Gray watching as I sped away. The office wasn't far, and I was pleased when I arrived only a few minutes late. As I walked into the office, one of my coworkers greeted me. Hello, Cassie, he smiled. But right away, his smile turned into a look of concern. What happened to your face? he asked. I absentmindedly put my hand to the cut on my forehead. Oh, it's nothing, I said. Cassie, he replied, at a loss for how to finish his thought. It's not deep, I said. It stopped bleeding ages ago. Because you packed it full of makeup, he said. You need to find out what's going on. Normal people don't wake up with random injuries. You should do a sleep clinic or something. He was one of the only people I'd told about my condition, about what happens to me. I'm not checking myself into a sleep clinic. I know you mean well, but really, I'm fine. I turned toward my desk and tried to move on, but he grabbed my right hand. He turned it so I could see the back of my hand and the scab slowly beginning to heal on my knuckle. He flicked the hair off my shoulder, showing my neck where another cut was slowly healing. He spoke up again. I'm sure there are more that you keep covered. He went on. It looks like something a dog or a cat would do. Mine used to scratch me up something rotten when she was angry. I shrugged and sat at my desk. He took his seat opposite mine and settled in. I pushed down my irritation at the unwanted attention. I don't have a cat or a dog, I said. Or any pets for that matter. They're not allowed in my building. There was a tense pause before he spoke again. Well... Whatever, or whoever did this, 
You need to get it sorted. It's been going on for months now. I let my guard down a bit. I know. Resigned that this conversation would keep happening every few days. We fell into a comfortable silence. I fell into my work, and after some time, my train of thought was interrupted. Lunch? You want a cool reference, I looked up at him, startled, and then to the clock. It was already 1 p.m. Strange. It's all right. I think I'll stay in today, I told him. I want to check some things online, and now's the only time I can do it. He gave me a look. You still haven't got your phone line sorted? How long have you lived in that flat? Too long, I smiled. He rolled his eyes and walked out of the office. On my screen, minimizing the window I was working on, I opened up a web browser and started looking around online for a new apartment. I had been searching for something in my price range now for months. Ever since I started seeing the shadows in the mirror and started waking up with injuries. Unfortunately, there wasn't much available in my price range, close to work, or with parking. After half an hour of fruitless searching, an idea struck me. What if I could film it? They make cameras for that kind of thing, right? Maybe I don't have to move out just yet. If I could capture the events happening on video, then I'd have something to start with. I would at least know for sure what was happening. And maybe I could show it to someone who could help me. I started searching for cameras, and by the time people were trickling back into the office from lunch, I had spent a good portion of this month's budget and was the proud owner of a video camera and a huge data card. My deskmate came back in, complaining about overeating and fatigue. I nodded sympathetically, and we went back to work. I fell deep into concentration, my mind at ease for the first time in a long time, with the prospect of a solution being in reach. I was so focused on finishing my transcriptions that I didn't notice the rest of the workday pass me by. A hand shaking my shoulder brought me back to the present. My coworker, informing me that we were the only two left in the office. He was packing up and getting ready to leave. He waved goodbye on his way out. You're the only person I know who seems to prefer being in the office to being at home. I looked at the clock. It was almost six. I told myself that I'd just finish one more transcript. The only person who prefers the office to home, I repeated to myself. Well, you would too if you woke up scratched and bruised. I stayed in the office until 8 p.m. I only left when my entire queue was transcribed. Everything typed out and left on my boss's desk. When I pulled into the driveway, Mr. Gray was sitting in his usual spot, just to the side of the communal bins. He liked to hunt the rats that come to go through the garbage. 
As I passed him, I reached down to run my fingers through his mottled fur. I asked him how his day had been, as if the cat would answer. He chirped and rubbed against my leg. Just then, Mr. Housen came to the door. Are you fussing over that cat again? Mr. Gray took a swipe at Mr. Housen's ankles, making the old man step back. Mr. Housen spoke up again, telling me that the cat owes his life to me and it knows it. I reached down to give Mr. Gray's ears a final rub before we headed inside. Don't you think a life debt is a bit dramatic? I asked Mr. Housen. Oh, no, 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 he said. You saved him after that punk with the fancy car hit him. I remember that day so vividly. I shook the thought away. Maybe, I said. The vet said it was just cuts and bruises, nothing life-threatening. But who knew getting a cat's stitches could be so expensive? Mr. Housen gave me a laugh. I waved goodnight to him as he disappeared inside his flat. On my doorstep, just as Mrs. Housen had promised this morning, a covered dish was waiting for me. Picking up the casserole, I stared at my front door for a long moment. Stop being a wimp, I said to myself, grabbing my keys and going inside. The camera arrived that weekend. I was sitting at the kitchenette eating breakfast when the doorbell rang. I buzzed the delivery man in and went to meet him. Taking my prize back inside, I spent the rest of the day fiddling with it, getting to know how it worked, making terrible videos about the family of spiders that lived under my bathroom sink. That evening when I went to bed, I cleared a space for the camera on the shelf above the vanity. I positioned it so it was facing the bed, but still captured a sizable amount of the room. That night, I slept fitfully, unable to fall into a deep sleep. I kept jerking awake, feeling like someone was watching me. When I woke in the morning with no new injuries, I was relieved. I checked the camera footage and was also relieved to see nothing more than a restless night. I put it on again the following night, and again, nothing sinister happened. I was surprised by one thing in the footage, though, by how restless a sleeper I was. Maybe I was doing this to myself. The amount I tossed and turned at night, it's a wonder I wasn't hurt worse than I was. It was Tuesday when I finally saw something odd. I was eating dinner and reviewing Monday night's footage. Just more of me tossing and turning. But then, I spotted movement that wasn't me. A lump formed in my throat, and I had to force myself to swallow my mouthful of food. Something was moving by my window. A dark shape moved across the window, along the ledge, until it reached the far side. It waited for a moment, and then the window opened, 
I felt my arms and legs turn to jello and felt adrenaline behind my eyes. I kept my windows locked. How is someone opening them from the outside? I watched as a dark shape stepped into my bedroom. I watched as it passed in front of the light, revealing itself to be Mr. Gray? The fucking cat! The footage continued, and I watched Mr. Gray. He came over to the foot of my bed. I expected to watch him settle down and maybe go to sleep, but he didn't. He sat, sphinx-like at the foot of my bed, watching the room like he was waiting for something. I fast-forwarded the footage, and after two hours, Mr. Gray moved. He stood up, facing the bedroom door, and opened his mouth, baring his teeth in a hiss. I turned the volume up on my laptop. Mr. Gray yowled. But sleeping me on the footage didn't wake. What the hell was he screeching at? There was nothing in the room. At least nothing in the camera frame. And why wasn't I waking up, restless sleeper that I am? Mr. Gray leapt forward out of the view of the camera. I could hear him crashing around, yowling. It sounded like he was fighting something. After a moment, he flew backwards and landed on me, swiping at the air. Maybe a bug? There was nothing in the room that I could see. I noticed where he was sitting on the footage. On my arm. I looked down and there were twin scratches. Exactly what you'd expect from being caught between an angry cat and its prey. Mr. Gray was responsible for my injuries. I kept watching, and shortly after, Mr. Gray calmed down. He limped across the bed, sniffed at me briefly before leaping up onto the windowsill and heading out the way he had come in. The window remained open for a while, but as I fast-forwarded, I saw it close. It was windy season, probably caught up in a draft. I sat stunned for several minutes. Maybe after all those nights of tossing and turning, I'd fallen into such a deep sleep that all of that hadn't phased me. Setting the rest of my dinner aside, I went into my bedroom and checked the window. Sure enough, the catch was broken. I laughed, the feeling of relief washing over me. The feeling of finally having an answer. That it was nothing more sinister than an oversized tomcat inviting himself into my flat. <sighs> I went to bed that night with a smile on my face. At work the following morning, I told my deskmate all about it. 
He told me he didn't believe it, and I agreed. It was a crazy story. But at least I finally had an answer. But then he spoke up again. No, really, I don't believe it, he said, the skepticism now apparent on his face. He went on. You said things in the flat were moving around. I thought you were sleepwalking. That's why I kept suggesting the sleep clinic. Even though I didn't like his condescending tone, doubt crept back in. I thought about how items in my flat often appeared in places I had not left them. I couldn't explain it. Maybe I was sleepwalking. After all, how many times could a cat sneak into the house without me noticing? How many times would the wind blow the window closed before I woke up? Maybe what I'd seen was a one-off. Maybe. But I would deal with one problem at a time. I used my lunch break to pick up a new lock for the window. That evening, I fitted it myself. I considered the camera before I went to bed, and I almost left it off. But why not use it after spending so much money on it? After all, what if Mr. Gray had other ways into my apartment? I slept peacefully that night and checked the footage after work on Thursday. No sign of Mr. Gray. I left the camera on again that night, and the next and the next. I woke with a jolt on Sunday in the worst pain I have ever felt. I cried out the moment I regained consciousness. The room was pitch black. The clock read 3.15 a.m., and my right arm was broken. Hospital, my pain-fogged brain thought. I need to get myself to the hospital. I got up slowly and pulled on my sneakers. I thought about trying to change my clothes, but couldn't face it. The hospital would just have to deal with my pajamas. I dropped my keys as I closed the door to my flat and swore. Bending down made my arm hurt worse, but after a few tries, I lifted my keys. I heard the sound of movement nearby. Then there was a light and the sound of a door opening and Mr. Housen's voice from nearby. What's going on? He asked, leaning out his front door. I'm so sorry, I said, fighting tears. I didn't mean to wake you. His wife peeked out from behind him. What's the matter? She asked, deep concern in her voice. After seeing my arm, the keys in my hand, it all clicked. Mr. and Mrs. Housen told me to wait right there, and they'd drive me. On the way, the pain was still sharp and miserable, but I was growing used to it. Mr. Housen grumbled from the front seat. You tell me who the bastard is and I'll kill him. I would have smiled if I wasn't in so much pain. Edgar was pushing 70 and he was smaller than me, but he sounded ferocious. 
It's nothing like that. There's no boyfriend. His wife chimed in, asking if I'd fallen. They'd heard an awful noise. It's why they were awake. I told them I don't know. I didn't think so, but everything was a fog of pain. When we arrived at the hospital, Mr. and Mrs. Housen offered to wait with me, but I told them I'd be fine. I sent them home, reassuring them that I had money for a taxi. They told me to let them know what was going on as soon as I got home. I promised that I would. After some time, I was called back and they examined me. As soon as I had enough painkillers in me to not cry, I called my mom to let her know what had happened. She asked how this happened, and again, I didn't know. The fog in my mind from the pain was replaced by a fog from the painkillers. On the phone with my mom, I kept saying that it couldn't have been Mr. Gray. She asked again and again, Who is Mr. Gray? I told her it was a cat. I was x-rayed and told that I had a displaced fracture. Normally, these types of fractures happen in falls or car accidents. Something has to hit you with enough force to not only break the bone, but to force it to move out of place. I couldn't explain it. The doctors treated my lack of explanation with extreme suspicion. Blood tests were taken and a bone density scan ordered. I had to endure the biggest needle I'd ever seen. Then, they pulled my arm back into the right position. I'd like to say that I took it with grace, but I can't. I was sobbing by the time they gave me an appointment for the fracture clinic to have my cast put on once the swelling went down. I sat in the waiting room and called my mom again. When she answered, I told her about my injuries. She told me she'd been talking to my neighbors, the Housens. She said they're anxious about me. I picked up on some exasperation and anger in her voice. I fell silent, not having any explanation to calm her emotions. My mom spoke up again. The Housens think that your boyfriend is doing this. This is dangerous. These types, they don't change. She went on to say that she was disappointed that I felt like I couldn't come to her about this. I didn't know what to say. I was so frustrated. I didn't know how to say it any more clearly. I'm not seeing anyone. She went on. The unexplained bruises, the scratches, covering it up with makeup, making excuses. When she put it like that, I could see where she was coming from. But haven't the Housens noticed that there are no men coming and going from my apartment? They seem to notice everything else. Mom, no one is hitting me. I don't know what's happening. And that's when I brought up the camera. I told her that I'd set it up to catch myself sleepwalking, or whatever else might have been going on. And that's when I told her about Mr. Gray, 
the cat, the only thing out of the ordinary that I'd seen. She was silent for a moment, and then she spoke again. You expect me to believe that a cat gave you a broken arm? I don't know why I said what I said next. Maybe it was the exhaustion. Maybe I was just ready to be finished with the conversation. Well, he is a big cat, I muttered. On the other end of the line, I heard my mom take a deep breath. She was collecting her thoughts. Then she began again. Why don't you come home for a little while? Just until you have a chance to heal and rest up a bit. I told her that wasn't possible. I had work. I have an appointment to get my cast put on once the swelling subsides. She reminded me that I wasn't going to be typing out transcripts with a broken arm. I'd have to go on sick leave anyway. Oh God, I need to call work. I was still waiting to be discharged when my father arrived. I wasn't looking forward to the long drive back to my hometown, but at least the silence between us in the waiting room didn't feel too tense. We went back to my place where I packed up a few things and we started the drive home. Something changed on that car ride. You know how you can tell a difference in the mood? Even in silence. Sad. A little bit of anger. Betrayal. That's it. I hadn't gone to him for help when he thought I needed it. At the hospital back home, they did another round of x-rays and inspected the injury. They confirmed that I had suffered a severe break. They also noted that the bruising on my arm was very oddly shaped. It was almost hand-shaped. Like someone had put their hand on my arm and snapped it like a twig. But that would take a great deal of strength. More than most people had. I couldn't explain it. No one could. I stayed with mom and dad for three weeks. After my initial hesitation and the awkwardness... I felt comfortable again. I felt safe for the first time in a very long time. I could sleep again. I can't tell you how great it felt to be able to sleep again. I could have stayed back home forever. The feeling of being safe was addictive. But the world doesn't let you stay safe for that long. I couldn't just give up my job, and the end date on my sick leave was approaching. At night, I would lie awake, thinking about being back in that apartment. I knew that I would have to go back. But I started apartment hunting online from my mom and dad's house. I almost asked my dad to move in with me until I found somewhere else to live. But he had his own job that he can't lose. Worst of all, no one believed me when I told them that I couldn't explain my injuries. They all thought I was hiding something. When I got back to the city, my mom and dad had strict rules for me to follow. They weren't rules, I guess, 
They couldn't make me, but I agreed nonetheless. A couple phone calls every day. Mrs. Housen would also check in on me, and even though I was partially back at work, I wasn't allowed to do over two days at work a week until I was out of my cast. Dad dropped me off at the apartment on Friday. And the minute my front door closed, I felt cold. For a split second, I was tempted to run after my dad. I was home alone, in the flat where something unseen had broken my arm. Holy shit, what was I doing back here? I went into my bedroom and saw the camera sitting there. I tried to turn it on, but the battery was dead. I hadn't turned it off the night I had broken my arm. I sat and stared at it for a while, feeling nervous. I'd thought about it back home, but I wasn't going to try to come and get it. I wasn't sure if I wanted to know. One thing is for sure. Whatever happened that night, the night my arm broke, that camera had filmed the whole thing. I hesitated to watch it, but of course I had to. I plugged my laptop in and waited for it to start up. I had no idea what to expect. What if there was someone in my flat? What if it was someone I knew? With shaking hands, I inserted the camera's data card and opened the viewing program. I watched myself sleep for a few minutes before hitting fast forward. I hit play again when I saw the bedroom door open. I half expected to see Mr. Gray padding into the room, entering through some other hidden opening. But nothing came in. No cat. Nothing. I rewound the footage three times and watched the door open, all by itself. It had to be a draft. Something to do with it being an old building. I continued watching the footage, and then I saw movement again. I noticed Mr. Gray at the window, the one that had the broken latch until I fixed it. He was pawing at the glass, trying to get in. His motions were frantic, his oversized paws scratching the glass. The window shook under his weight. Something on the other side of the screen caught my attention movement again. This time, several knickknacks toppled off the vanity, seemingly for no reason. Mr. Gray became more frantic, throwing himself at the window. Then, I watched as my right arm rose from my side. My breath caught in my throat. It stayed in the air for a long moment, and then, in a single, sharp motion, 
instantly I felt my lunch rising back out of my stomach. When I finished being sick, I went back into my room. The laptop was still running. Fast forwarding the footage, I felt bile rise again. I watched as Dad and I packed a bag for me and left. A few moments after, I heard the front door close, and something that I couldn't see pulled the quilt and sheets off my bed and tore them apart. I glanced at the perfectly made bed and noticed it was all new sheets. Mrs. Housen must have been in. I'd left her a key when I went home. What must she have thought of finding the place torn up? On camera, I saw Mr. Gray was back at the window, throwing himself at the glass again until the window sprang open. I watched as he bounded into the bedroom, hissing and spitting, 25 pounds of pure feline fury. He leapt around the room, clawing at something I couldn't see. His long gray fur lifted, making him seem even bigger. I watched him fight the invisible force, the thing that had broken my arm. Finally, the door to the bedroom slammed closed, and Mr. Gray stood at the foot of my bed, determined and victorious. He sat for a long time licking his wounds. I felt hot tears on my cheeks before I realized I was crying. He'd been protecting me. That big, dumb, sweet cat had been protecting me. When I regained my composure, I turned off the laptop and stood up. I phoned work and informed them that I was handing in my notice. Then I called mom and asked her if I could come home for a while at least until I found a new job and somewhere to live. She didn't ask any questions. She just sounded relieved. I wrote a thank you card for Mr. and Mrs. Housen, giving them my parents' address and asking them to keep in touch. I grabbed whatever I could carry and went into town. I had a few hours till Dad arrived to pick me up. And in the meantime, I had some things to pick up from the shops before going home. My rideshare driver helped me unload a jumbo bag of kitty litter, six months worth of cat food, a cat tree, a carrier, a selection of toys, and the biggest cat bed I could find. I found Mr. Gray, my furry protector, down by the garbage bins and coaxed him into the cat carrier. I said to him, you are coming home with me. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you heard, 
stop what you're doing, and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This was Mr. Gray by Katie Marie. Narrated by me, Brooke Jeanette. Editing and sound design by Liz Walker. Music by Caleb Ritchie. With assistance from Bridget Howard and Ian Epperson. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, and Wiley Caudill. Thank you so much for your support. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel to chat with the creators and a second monthly reading. Merch, bloopers, behind-the-scenes content, and weekly updates on the show. We're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at some version of 13pod or pod13. Just look for the logo. Seriously, come say hi. We'll have links in the show notes. Don't forget to check the show notes for links to Pairing and Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show, or to contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You can find it in the show notes. Bridget Howard is the reason you can't bear to dangle your leg off the bed. Thanks for listening. See you next month. And don't forget to stay tuned for a special trailer for Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. from people all over the world. Explore the weird and wonderful in my weekly podcast with Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. <laughs>